Amen. Please be seated. I said at the beginning that um, part of the beauty, there's many beautiful things about Evensong. Um, it's a wonderful tradition. It goes back a very, very long time. And, um, but it, its design is to be like a window, uh, that its beauty in a remarkable way points beyond itself, uh, just like a window does, points beyond itself to the thing that is displayed, which is uh, the story of Jesus Christ. And uh, one of the windows uh, are the readings that we just heard. And I'm going to think a little bit about um, that second reading there on uh, page five. One of the remarkable things that you see when you read the stories of Jesus is uh, just how often Jesus shows up at parties. Um, he's just at parties all the time. And, uh, and very often it goes like this. He'll, he'll be at a party, he'll be having a good time. And then right in the middle of the party, he sort of drops a bomb that changes everything. And that's what he does here. Let me, let me set the scene just a little bit and think about this for just a few minutes. Um, Jesus and his disciples were at this party, and um, the party, as far as we can tell, was in all likelihood held in Jesus' honor. And uh, the problem was, however, that most of the people that were at this party were tax collectors, um, which wasn't a problem for Jesus, but it was a huge problem for a group of people that were at the party called the Pharisees. And, um, and here's why. The Pharisees were, uh, they were a religious party of the day. And in, in, they sort of viewed themselves a bit like spiritual health inspectors for the nation, uh, which sounds kind of pompous, and, and, and it was a bit pompous. But, but their thinking was a little bit like this. Um, they were steeped in the Hebrew scriptures. They were steeped in the story of ancient Israel. And one of the things that they recognized is that there was a pattern in uh, the history and the story of Israel that, to their mind, suggested there was a fundamental spiritual illness in the nation that was, that was threatening. And, and the illness went something like this. They said repeatedly, time after time, uh, Israel as a nation became increasingly selfish and then increasingly arrogant and then increasingly corrupt, and that corruption led them to do some terrible things, and then that, in turn, led to national collapse, um, not just once, but a bunch of times. And so the Pharisees came along, and they said, you know what we need? There's, there's an illness. We need spiritual health inspectors. We need to go around and, and try to stop this illness before it takes over the country yet again, which, you know, we can debate whether or not it's a good approach, but that was kind of their thinking. But this also explains why it is that the Pharisees were so offended by Jesus, because they go to this party, and here's Jesus hanging out with tax collectors, and they just, they just blow a fuse, because they're saying, Jesus, what are you doing? These are the guys that are spiritually ill. They're obviously spiritually ill. Uh, tax collectors were really infamous for their corruption. Um, nobody likes taxes. But these guys were, were really bad. Um, they were known to be uh, corrupt, they were self-centered, they were arrogant, and they were kind of like loan sharks with an army behind them. And so nobody likes, liked these guys, and the Pharisees said, Jesus, don't hang out with them, because these are the guys that are infecting our nation with their corruption. And, uh, I mean, if you want to do something with them, it's as if the Pharisees said, you, you go, go occupy their offices in protest, but don't hang out at their apartment and don't party with them. But this is where it gets interesting in the story. Take a look at it. Because nobody knows how to critique religious people like Jesus does. 
Watch how he does it. In verse 12, I'll kind of paraphrase it, but Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he says, you know, you think you're spiritual health inspectors, um, but you're not. You know what you are? You're not. You're like doctors who only want to treat healthy people. You're like uh, doctors who say, uh, take all the sick people, put them in quarantine. I don't want to touch them, but I'll deal with all the healthy people all the time. That's like my specialty. And Jesus looks at them and says, you're crazy. That's ridiculous. Doctors are for people who are ill. But then Jesus is just getting going. The punchline comes in verse 13. Because in verse 13, Jesus quotes the Hebrew scriptures uh, to the Pharisees, and he says this, go and learn what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, that doesn't sound like a punchline, but it is a punchline, because the Pharisees knew that quote. And that quote comes from the Hebrew scriptures, and it comes from a point where God is addressing the spiritual illness that the Pharisees were so frightened of. God is addressing in that quote the spiritual illness of selfish arrogance and all the corruption that comes from that. And so what Jesus does is he uses this quote, and he looks at the Pharisees, and he says, you think you're spiritual health inspectors, but actually, you don't know it, but you are infected with the very same illness that you see in the tax collectors. You are self-centered, and you are arrogant, and you are corrupt. It's just that you disguise it behind religious robes, says a guy in religious robes. And Jesus, in this story, he's a doctor who diagnoses, diagnoses the illness that the Pharisees want to deny about themselves. It's remarkable. Nobody unveils hypocritical religion quite like Jesus does. But that's not even the most important part. The most important part comes when Jesus uh, offers the cure. And he does that when he talks to this guy, Matthew. Did you catch Matthew? Matthew is not a Pharisee. He's the opposite of a Pharisee. He's a tax collector. And we don't know what, exactly what he was thinking. But you could imagine, here's a guy. He grew up in synagogue. Um, but now he's not going to synagogue, and he's, he's a tax collector, and he's made peace with it. And you could imagine um, Matthew looking at the Pharisees and saying, listen, I, I may be a tax collector, but at least I'm not pretending to be somebody else, right? Um, and I'm not a hypocrite. I may be many things, but I am not a hypocrite. I'm successful. I'm not embarrassed about who I am or who I'm working for. I work for Rome. That's true. Um, but I live in the real world, and you got to make a buck, and these are the guys that keep peace, you know? It makes sense in one sense, but what, was, what does Jesus do to a guy like this or with a guy like that? What he does is he comes and he, he relates to Matthew almost the same way he relates to the Pharisees, except he presses even further. At the very beginning of the story, he walks up to Matthew and he, so to speak, looks past Matthew's success. He looks past Matthew's self-justification. He looks past the corruption that Matthew was involved in in that industry. And he says, Matthew, and he looks at him and I imagine he smiles, I don't know. But he says, Matthew, I want you to get up and I want you to leave your office and all that it represents and I want you to follow me. Matthew, I choose you. I could choose a lot of people, but I choose you to be part of my new community, part of my inner circle of my very closest friends. It's a remarkable thing for Jesus to do, and it's very provocative. It's a diagnosis, but it is also a cure. 
It's a diagnosis because um, Jesus is clearly challenging him here. He, he, he comes and he says, uh, Matthew, so to speak, you, you may not, the subtext is, you may not be a religious hypocrite, but nevertheless, we still need to address the, the selfish arrogance and the corruption that you're part of here. You need to be cured. But he moves beyond it. And more importantly, it's the beginning of the cure for Matthew. Why do I say that? Because Matthew, remarkably, he gets up, he leaves everything, and as far as we know, he never returned. And tradition tells us that he went on to uh, write the very gospel that this story comes out of. He, began, he wrote part of the Bible, a tax collector. And what is it that accounts for such a radical shift in somebody's life, and so quickly? Well, just consider what Matthew heard in that moment when Jesus called him. All Matthew's life, he had been evaluated by others. He knew all about being evaluated by others. And all of Matthew's life, he had been, um, uh, he had, uh, been rewarded for what he earned and what he produced. That's why he was in the business that he was in. And all his life, he had been judged by people. He knew that once uh, people see shame in him, he knew that there was no way to shake that shame. But the thing that he the thing that was new for him is that he had never in his life been loved into the midst of his failings. He had never in his life been loved despite his crimes, not just overlooking them, but right into the midst of them. He had never been loved right into his weakness. And that's the cure, because when Jesus loves us into our very worst shame, not our best bits, but our worst bits, when Jesus pardons our guilt and when he heals our shame, what we find is that our hearts get turned inside out. Instead of being selfish and self-centered and arrogant and corrupt, when they are loved in that way and when you really internalize Jesus' love, the heart gets turned inside out, which is right side out, and we find ourselves trusting Jesus in humility, and we find ourselves bound to him in love, and it's the beginning of Matthew's healing, and it's the beginning of our healing. It's a remarkable story. Lots packed into this little thing. And it's a remarkable party, because at this party, both groups, the Pharisees, the religious people, and the tax collectors, the not religious people, both of them are, are selfish and arrogant. Both of them are what the Bible calls sinners. But the Pharisees disguised it with their religion, and the tax collectors perhaps described it, or disguised it with their success. But nonetheless, they were disguising. And it begs the question, which disguises do we prefer? But what's odd is that these religious people and these secular people in this party, they're, they're just at odds with each other. But later on in the story, later on in the story, they join forces. They team up. They team up to kill Jesus. It's a remarkable thing that in the gospel stories, um, the crucifixion of Jesus ended up being a bipartisan issue. And they join forces, the religious establishment, the the non-religious, secular establishment, they joined forces. But when they killed Jesus, it was the coming together and the culmination of that spiritual illness. It was the culmination of their selfish, uh, arrogant, corrupt spiritual illness. But it was also the beginning of their healing. They didn't know it, but it was the beginning of their healing because when Jesus died, 
In a remarkable way, he absorbed their illness in kindness and love towards the very people who were inflicting such pain upon him. He absorbed their illness voluntarily and he took it to himself terminally and it killed him. But then when he rose again three days later, he rose again with the authority to do for each one of us what he did for Matthew. And he comes to each one of us and he comes in this evensong service and he bypasses our disguises. And he offers amnesty and pardon. And he loves us right into the midst of our shame. And he heals us so that we can know the joy of being loved without any measure. And when that happens, uh, we find ourselves at a party. We find ourselves at the party that Jesus loves the most. The party that Jesus loves the most is the party full of formerly selfish, arrogant, corrupt people who have been liberated by Jesus like Matthew has and are beginning to experience the healing that Matthew experiences. And that is the party that knows a joy that is matchless and exquisite. And that's the party that Evensong always invites us to. Amen.